This episode of Undone is brought to you by Tinder. Tinder has a new podcast about defining relationships in the digital age. It's called DTR. Each episode explores the weird, wonderful, and bizarre aspects of meeting and dating new people in an internet-obsessed world. The first episode is all about the word, hey. 100 million messages every month on Tinder start with that one word, hey. Another episode talks about what actually gets you right swipes in your profile, and another one is about what it's like to date someone who is way better looking than you. You can listen, subscribe, and download DTR on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can go to dtrshow.com to learn more. From Gimlet Media, this is Undone. I'm Pat Walters. On each episode of Undone, we go back to a big news story from history and tell you about the surprising things that happen when everyone stopped paying attention. We're hard at work on our last episode of the season, and we'll have it ready for you in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, we wanted to bring you a new Gimlet show that also tells stories from history. Family history. It's called Twice Removed, and it's hosted by the New York Times bestselling author A.J. Jacobs. We think it's great, and we think you'll like it too. Uh, Biological family. My dad's grandfather. My ancestry. My family. Cousin. Twice removed. Twice removed. Twice removed. Twice removed. Don't worry. At least we all are together. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm AJ Jacobs, and this is Twice Removed, the show that proves we are, in fact, one big family. Right now, there are two people here with me in separate studios. What they do not realize is their family. They're related. One of these people, our mystery relative, will be hidden away until the end of the show. But the other is right here with me in the studio, our guest, someone I couldn't be more excited about, a man who has redefined what it means to be family in the 21st century, which I know are big words, but I mean them. Go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Dan Savage, and I am an Irish Catholic, middle-aged gay dude from the north side of Chicago who lucked into a stupid syndicated sex advice column that turned into books and talking headery, and I haven't had to really work a day in my life since my uh, mid-20s. And you are also, you're an activist. You started the It Gets Better project to help support gay teens around the world. That's right. So, Dan, here's how Twice Removed works. We've spent the last several months doing research, talking to distant relatives and historians, finding people who are related to you. Whether they like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them are dead, so they can Well, can't. that's convenient. Exactly. Now, here, here's a chart, and on the far left side, that's you. That's Dan Savage, right there. And on the far right side is your mystery relative. So you can see their name is covered up, because mm-hmm. it's a mystery. And in between the two of you are 41 family members, all connected by blood or marriage. We're going to make our way straight through this chain of relatives, one relative to the next, to the next, to the next, all the way to number 41. That's your mystery relative. Along the way, we're going to stop at four of the most interesting people and we'll tell their stories. Among them, a cousin who challenged an authoritarian regime and a pair of relatives caught up in a presidential sex scandal. Awesome. Yeah, things get spicy. A current one or a past one? I 
Let's, uh, I will reveal that in due time. <laughs> now, the very last person on this branch, person number 41, that's your mystery relative who is in the next room over listening in right now. You have any guesses who it might be? Uh, no, none. I've got the mystery relative in my headphones. So just one second, Dan, we'll get back to you. Hey, mystery relative, I'm talking to you now. Dan cannot hear you. The rest of us can. How are you feeling? Anything you want to say? Remember, Dan cannot hear you. Just me and the rest of the world. Hi, I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Are you okay? Are you nervous? You comfortable? Yep, everything's fine. <laughs> they giving you snacks over there? Um, I have some water. He's doing okay. He's got water. Um, <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Don't go away. Now, at the end of the hour... We'll bring the mystery guest into the studio for a family reunion unlike any other. Two people coming face to face with all the ways they're connected. Hopefully, you two will be filled with delight. Though, it could be abject horror. <laughs> you never know. It's family. Okay, Dan, before we hear about your distant family, I want to start with the family you live with now, your husband, Terry, and your son, DJ. Can you tell me about how you met Terry? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I talk at a lot of colleges, and often some gay kid will get up and say that he wants what I have. He wants marriage and a family and children and a dog and wants everything I have and uh, but can't find it because he hates the bar scene and doesn't drink or do drugs and doesn't hook up. Uh, but and then we'll ask, how did I get it? How do I? How did I get you know the husband and the kid and the dog and the white picket fence? And I'll look at it and I'll say, well, I was in a gay bar and I was drunk and I met this guy who was really high and we had a one night stand. <laughs> we totally hooked up. So you might want to revisit your strategy around uh, finding a husband. Well, speaking of that, tell me how it all went down. Did you approach Terry? Terry was on the dance floor and looking amazing, because he looks amazing, at this bar, Rebar in Seattle. And I was standing at Kochuk, because I do not dance, and I kept pointing <laughs> him out to this drag queen named Ginger Vitus, who worked at the Kochuk. And I kept pointing him out and saying, oh my God, look at that guy, he's so beautiful. Look at him, he's so beautiful. <laughs> and he walked over at a certain point to the Kochuk to get something out of his coat, ecstasy. And uh, Ginger nudged me and in a loud enough voice for Terry to hear said, you've been telling me all night how hot he is. Why don't you tell him? And if she hadn't said that, I never would have spoken to him. He went off to dance with his friends, came up and talked to me. We had a beer. We ended up making out in a bathroom at the bar. Um, he came back to my place. We had uh, a one night stand. And in the morning he jumped in the shower and I literally had to go get his wallet out of his pants pocket while he was showering to look at his driver's license because I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> so Dan, you've written quite a bit about your family in your books. You wrote about your mom, about your grandma, and it seems to me you're actually quite nostalgic. You, you like this family history stuff. I do. And I like having things around me that remind me of, of my history. I have my great grandparents hymnals and they're just sitting on a on the shelf in our house kind of prominently i see them there every once in a while and i think about my great grandparents 
apartment. I have the dining room furniture that was in my grandparents' apartment when I was growing up and belonged to my great-grandparents. They're the, it's the dining room set from my grandfather's childhood home. It's not very glamorous. It's like working class outside Chicago German furniture. And it's big and heavy. But if I had a different dining room table, it wouldn't be the dining room table that my grandfather sat at on mm. Christmas Eve with his grand, with his parents and that my mother sat at with her parents and that I sat at with my parents and that my son has sat at with his parents. How could you throw that table away? Right. When you think of family, what what's the definition for you? Your people. The you know, the people that you came from and grew up around and were surrounded by. Genes and genetics gather people around you for good or ill, but then there's a choice that goes into assembling family when you're an adult. Armistead Maupin, who wrote the Tales of the City books, talks about there's your biological family and then there's your logical family. Hopefully there's a lot of overlap there. It's wonderful when someone's biological family is also their logical family, but for a lot of people that's not true, and for a lot of queer people that's particularly not the case. Mm. I'm lucky that my biological family is also a part of my logical family. Well, Dan, today we're going to explore that biological family of yours and maybe even try to find some logic in it. (laughs) These are your people, Dan. They share more in common with you than just a distant ancestor. Because like you, they push the boundaries. They break the rules. So are you ready? I'm, I'm nervous and excited. That is great. That's the exact combination of emotions we want. Nervous and excited. So our first stop today is taking us just a few generations back. So take a look at the family map. And if we start with the you are here circle, that's you, that's Dan Savage. I see that. And we hop past your mom, past your grandpa, and we land on your great-grandfather, Walter Schneider. And he's one of your first relatives to be born here in the United States. I want to show you something to start off, Dan. Take a look at this article I have right here. It's from the October 28, 1865 edition of the New York Times. The headline, Marine Intelligence. And it's a list of boats, boats that arrived in New York the day before. And about a quarter of the way down the list is a boat from Bremen, Germany, the SS Johann Kepler. And that is your family's first appearance in American mainstream media. Oh, my God. Your great great-great-grandparents and their children spent 52 days at sea on that boat. They'd left this little farming village in southern Germany called Gernsheim, and they're hoping for a different kind of life. Now, those kids who came over, they had kids of their own, as people do, and at least two of them did find a very different kind of life. Deep in the criminal underworld, running with some of the most notorious characters in 1920 Chicago. Oh, my God. (laughs) So that's our first story today, Dan. Three steps away on our long branch of relatives here. Your great-grandfather, Walter Schneider, and his brother, George. Walter and George, brothers in crime. This is an article from the Chicago Tribune back in 1902. It's a list of new businesses incorporated in the city the previous day. And on that list, 
there's a business called The Corker Club. It's a saloon and cigar shop. One of its owners, George F. Schneider. That's your great-grandfather Walter's brother. The two of them, they ran the joint together. But that's just the start of it, Dan. You see, just a few years later, Chicago police listed this saloon as literally one of the shadiest places in the city. That's the word they used, shady. There were fights, there was alleged arson, even attempted murder. And juiciest of all, we discovered that the Corker Club was at the center of one of the largest illegal gambling syndicates in the United States. I'm so proud. (laughs) We thought you would be. There was roulette, pharaoh, dice, and poker games. This is Gene Trimble. Gene was a professional gambler for 20 years. Later in life, he got into history and became an expert on places like the Corker Club. With games like poker and roulette, the Corker was sort of your classic underground gambling joint. But there was a main attraction, horse racing. For a club like Corker, horse races meant big money. Take just one race on any given day. The big payoff might have been three or four or five hundred, which is huge in those days compared to today. But they had hold 70% off the top for themselves. 70%? That's a pretty good business. Yes. So they were good capitalists, your great-grandparents. But there was a catch. Snyder owned it. Every week they pay off the, the gang for protection, you know what I mean? So that protection money was going to a guy named Mont Tennis. And Dan, this is where your family's history intersects with Chicago's notorious criminal underground. Mont Tennis was an underworld kingpin. He cornered the market on illegal gambling in Chicago. He was known for bombing his rival stores to put him out of business. So he was hardcore. Now, we know all this because in 1911, the federal government opens an investigation into Tennis's wire service. Fourteen different people are named as part of his syndicate, including one of your family members, George Schneider. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. (laughs) My grandfather, uh, Ed Schneider, was a, a good Catholic, a member of the Knights of Columbus. I couldn't have imagined that his father was involved in organized crime. That flabbergasts me because they were so proper <laughs> that just in one, one generation removed, somehow the criminal connections and any sort of grit was wiped away. Now, the federal investigation ultimately did not shut down Tennis's wire service or the Corker Club. So the club continued to operate well into the 1920s. Now, we wanted to get a first-hand look at the Corker Club So, we flew to Chicago to see what we could find. Ladies and gentlemen, Delta Shuttle would like to welcome you to Chicago at a local time. It's 6.38. I love your face, and I I, I love that you... (laughs) I love that you guys just don't dig around in archives a little bit and go on Ancestry.com. You guys got onto airplanes and went places. We're hardcore here, twice (laughs) removed. That's right. We enlisted the help of this guy. All right. You guys want to take the interstate or you want to roll down South Street? His name is Brian Jolette. He's a historian who specializes in prohibition. And he's built a map of underground joints that popped up in Chicago in the 20s. Little distilleries in the backs of homes, secret trading posts. Tons of little dots cover this map. 
All these addresses are places I've located in, in court records or newspapers. Jolette was kind enough to take us to the location of your great-grandfather's saloon. So we passed by the site of the old Comiskey Park. We passed by one of the first clubs where blacks and whites mingled together freely in the city. We were just a few blocks from the saloon. I could almost smell the whiskey in the air. And then... This is it. This is the historic corner where Dan's great-grandpa had a saloon. And it is a huge disappointment. (laughs) What did you find there? Anticlimax beyond anticlimax. Just kidding. It's great. It's a... uh, empty lot and it's uh i'm sure there's look that that looks like beer that looks like a empty beer can a natty ice brand of beer so it all comes full circle (laughs) so as you heard when we went to visit nothing left of the corker club totally demolished a few years ago but gene trimble the professional gambler he was able to salvage a little something you see gene like you, Dan, he's a bit of a collector, and his specialty is old poker chips from saloons and defunct casinos. And one day, a few years ago, Gene's friend came across a set of these sleek 1920s-looking chips with two C's on them, red and white. He'd never seen these before. So these things come on eBay, and the guy selling them has no clue what they are. Calls them all poker chips. And so Gene goes through the archive of the company that makes these chips. Well, I pull the record and there it is. It says Corker Club right on the record. Is he there, the grandson? No, we're taping this now and we're going to play it for him when he comes in. I want his address. I'm going to send him one of those Corker Club chips. I thought he'd like to have one. I I would die. I would die to have one of those chips. (laughs) Well, we did not give him your address, but he did send it to us. And we actually, in my back pocket, I have for you a bona fide gambling chip from the Corker Club, the joint operated by your great-grandpa and his brother. Oh, my God. It looks like the first draft of the Chicago Cubs logo or the Chicago Bears logo. Oh, my God, it's amazing. I'm going to cry. Oh, my God, this is like... I'm all about things. I think objects have, not quite souls, but objects have this permanence. You know, we talk about things like they're the ephemera in our lives when we're actually the ephemera in theirs, that this is still here. Walter and George are gone. Ed Schneider's gone. My mother's gone. Anybody with any connection to actually using this at the time that the club was in operation, they're all gone. And this is somehow still here. I have a photograph of my great-grandparents in my dining room, uh, uh, Walter Schneider um, and his wife. And uh, I'm going to put this right beside it. I'm going to cry. Oh, my God, you guys. I didn't. <laughs> I was like rushed here from work, not ex- expecting to uh, get sucker punched. Anyway, thank you. Of course. We could end here and I would be ecstatic and happy <laughs> that you also have a human being that you're giving me today. That's above and beyond the call. <laughs> That's Dan Savage on the new Gimlet show, Twice Removed. We're sharing part of this episode with you guys this week while we're working on our last episode of Undone for the season. Coming up, we hear a story from a relative who talks a lot like Dan does. There is some I will not eat. Stay with us. 
This episode of Undone is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace gives you a powerful all-in-one platform with access to unique domains and easy-to-use templates to build a beautiful website, portfolio, or online store. So, it's 2017. We made it. And I thought it'd be a good time to ask some of my Gimlet colleagues if they have any particular New Year's resolutions in mind. My biggest goal this year is I want to take my first formal trip to Korea, which is where my parents are from. I want to find a way to build writing fiction into my schedule. I want to learn more about electricity. It just seems mysterious to me, and it's not mysterious. It's actually, like, very scientific. I want to eat more vegetables. I want to become stronger. Uh, basically, I've had the same resolution since I was a kid and I'm in my mid-30s, which is to clean my room. Whether it's to launch a creative project, to chronicle travel adventures, or to share facts you learn about the mysteries of electricity, Squarespace can help you make your next move. Cleaning your room, though, you're on your own for that. To get started with Squarespace, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code UNDONE to get 10% off your first purchase and to show support for the show. That's squarespace.com, offer code UNDONE. This episode of Undone is brought to you by AutoTrader. AutoTrader is a car search engine where you can shop for cars for sale from local dealerships and private sellers. And when it comes to buying a car, there are people like Doug DeMuro, who know a lot about how to do it right. Doug writes about cars for AutoTrader. So many people just say, oh, I need a new car, I'm just going to go buy the same one I had before. And, and it's a trap that you can easily fall into, but sometimes there are better cars out there, and sometimes there are cheaper cars, and sometimes there are better deals. That sort of stuff is just crucial. And with AutoTrader, not only can you search for cars by make and model, you can search for cars in your vicinity or for specific features or price points. It's way easier than how car shopping used to be. You would literally open the newspaper and it would, there would be three lines of text. That was the extent of it. There was no picture. So you'd show up and the car would be terrible and not even half as good as described. And then you'd spend an entire Saturday doing this. And so you finally got so sick of it that you just bought something, regardless of how good it was. To start searching for your next car, pictures included, go to autotrader.com slash undone. That's autotrader.com slash undone. Autotrader, the only car search engine driven by you. Hey guys, we're back. This week, we're bringing you a new Gimlet show called Twice Removed, the show that proves we're all one big family. This is from their first episode about the writer Dan Savage. Back to AJ Jacobs. Welcome back to Twice Removed, the show that proves we are, in fact, one big family. We're continuing on our path through Dan Savage's family tree. We're on our way through a chain of 41 people related through blood, through marriage, and it's all leading us to Dan's mystery relative. Any clues who it might be yet, Dan? Martha Stewart? Could be. All right, I don't want to ruin Beyonce? <laughs> You saw all the security outside, right? <laughs> I did. I wondered what those that line of Cadillacs was for. Exactly. Okay, a mystery relative. Let me uh, let me just check in with you. Are you okay? You, you, they're treating you good? Oh, wonderfully. And um, this is quite hilarious, actually. <laughs> he says it's quite hilarious. Exactly. He likes the anticipation. Okay, we'll get back to you. Stay tight. We're here. Okay, so let's get back to our family tree and see if we can get a little closer to bringing you two together. Now, we just heard about Walter Schneider, the saloon owner. He was four steps up the chain from where it starts with you. Now, if you follow along on our chain, Dan, we're going one, two, three steps away from Walter now, two generations down to the 1960s. That's when our next relative was growing up. 
just a few miles from you, Dan. She's your first cousin once removed. Your grandma and her mom were sisters, so pretty close. Her name is Jane Steinfels Hussein. Now, before the break, Dan, you were talking about that dental bridge that you found in Berlin and about how sometimes you have to fight for what you believe. I think it's safe to say Jane would agree. Sometimes I feel there are some things I will not accept and that there is some I will not eat. And I have to get out on the street and, and say that. And even if my being on the street is not going to change this, it's important for my own self-respect that I make this statement that I, I am not going along with this voluntarily. She's definitely a relative of mine. <laughs> there is some stuff you will not eat. That is right. Uh, that, that is an expression that I use all the time. I love it. All right, so Jane has spent her entire life working for social justice. As a kid, she marched to help integrate schools in Chicago. Mm -hmm. In college, she marched against the Vietnam War and in support of the civil rights movement. She even went, this is my favorite, she went to protest on her wedding day. And she was still wearing her dress and she had the bouquet and everything. So she's hardcore. <laughs> we want to focus on just one of Jane's protests. It was a particularly dangerous protest and it was on the other side of the world. When Jane was in college, she fell in love with and married a grad student named Fahim Hussein. Fahim passed away a few years ago, so you're not gonna hear from him in this story. But Fahim, he was a gregarious guy. Big laugh, big beard. And he was from Pakistan, Islamabad. And after school, he wanted to move back home. Jane was a few months pregnant, but she was feeling disenchanted with life in the U.S. So she figured, why not try Pakistan? So in 1968, she got on a plane. Of course, it was a big adjustment to, to learn the language, to learn how to shop, to learn how to cook. I had no idea what it would be like raising a child in Pakistan. I hadn't the faintest idea. Moving to a new country with new customs and a new language, that can be really isolating. Most of Jane's family was back in Chicago. So she and Fahim improvised. They built up their own little logical family, people who shared their ideas, people like this guy. I wanted to go and make revolution in Pakistan. This is Pervez Hoodboy. He's a professor of physics and sociology in Pakistan. I was uh, convinced that uh, this was an extremely unjust society that I had been brought up in. And so I wanted uh, now to change everything. Pervez and Fahim worked together at Islamabad University. They were peas in a pod, 1960s intellectuals, just out of grad school. They were all activists, socialists, really. Together, they were hoping to change Pakistan. Pervez volunteered as a teacher and a paramedic in a small village. Jane organized demonstrations for women's rights. That was one thing she was really passionate about. Jane was an amazing person. She was very firm, knew exactly what needed to be done. Over time, she became essentially the leader of the group that uh, we worked in. But then 1978 rolls around. Jane and Fahim now have a second child, a daughter, and there's a government coup. 
a new dictator comes into power. His name is Muhammad Zia-ul-Haq. He institutes martial law, shuts down the country's major newspaper, and he begins to target activists like your cousin Jane. Homes are raided. People disappear. One member of Jane's group, a guy named Nair, remembers just how scary that time was. All of us were afraid. You know, when, when these friends were arrested, uh, I was with them at the police station all day and all night. And in this time, my wife cleaned the house and burnt all the material that could incriminate me. She literally burnt it all. Very, very, very clever of her. For people like Jane and Pervez and Nair, whose whole way of life was about fighting government oppression, rather than be silenced, this is the moment they doubled down. They found out an official from the U.S. Department of State was coming to tour Islamabad. And the group thought he's the perfect target for their message. They could write pro-democracy, anti-imperialist slogans on the walls throughout the city. We knew pretty much the route he would be on. It had to be done very fast before anybody got any inkling because now Islamabad was becoming more and more policed. Even if it was midnight, you would have spies and they'd be following every car. And so Pervez invented this ingenious little device to help them cover more ground. It was a detergent bottle, at the end of which was a shaving brush. So that when you squeeze the, the detergent bottle, out would come the paint. But the thing was that we were clever. We had used uh, oil with it, mobile oil. With the motor oil, you could whitewash the slogan, and the slogan would still come through. It wasn't so easy to get rid of. <laughs> so we were papering the whole city with this, and we waited until just before dawn to go to the police headquarters. I was at the wheel of the van, and we all had whistles so that if somebody would approach, someone would whistle, and everybody would be able to jump in the van and get away. And an escape plan was extra important because... As the political stakes were getting higher, so were the personal ones. It wasn't just cans of paint and posters in the back of that car. My daughter was sound asleep in the seat in the back. And I did sit there thinking, you know, is this responsible parenthood? Having my little daughter innocently sleeping in the back of this van when the punishment for spreading hatred against the armed forces can be death. Now, ultimately, the plan worked, just like they hoped. They got home safe. But Jane Pervez and Nair had taken a huge risk, and it caught the attention of authorities. Secret police started following their every move and arresting people they knew. Some of their friends were tortured, to the point that one of them gave up Pervez as the inventor of the graffiti device. So Pervez had to stay out of the country for a while. Eventually, Jane moved back to the United States. And those who stuck around, like Nair, they did see revolutionary ideas take over Pakistan, just not the revolutionary ideas they'd been hoping for. They'd been fighting for progress, and from their point of view, the country actually slid backwards. The sad thing is, the society has gone completely the other way than what we thought it should be. 
the new young people have very different political ideas. They are more attracted to terrorism. They are more attracted to religious fundamentalism. And all that we did has completely gone in vain. We didn't do enough. We should have done more. Jane sees it differently. To her, the effects of their work, they may not be obvious, but they reverberate through. When I went back to Pakistan in the spring of 1991, there was an old man, a cobbler, sitting on a handcart with his leather and his tools, and he started yelling at us. And he started shouting, Amriki Samaraj Mordabad, which means death to American imperialism. He started getting more and more excited and screaming more and more loudly, and we got really worried. And then he laughed. And he said, I remember you. You're the girl who spoke at the demonstration against the invasion of Cambodia. So that old man, 20 years later, remembered me and remembered my speech. It made me feel very good that, you know, you protest or you write something and it seems like a flash in the pan. But sometimes people do remember. And then you feel that, that it does have some worth. The episode goes on after that with lots more amazing stories from Dan Savage's family tree and a surprise introduction to Dan's mystery relative. It's really fun. To listen to the rest of that first episode of Twice Removed, go to GimletMedia.com or look up Twice Removed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our friends at Twice Removed. Undone was conceived in collaboration with Retro Report, the documentary film series that connects iconic news events of the past to today. You can find them at retroreport.org. If you want to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Undone Show or email us at undone at gimletmedia.com. You can subscribe to Undone and to Twice Removed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have a new episode of Undone in two weeks. See you then. Thanks to our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace is an easy way to create a beautiful website, portfolio, or online store. They feature professional-looking templates and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code UNDONE at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com, offer code UNDONE. Thanks to our sponsor, AutoTrader. AutoTrader is a car search engine that can help you find the perfect car just for you with a customizable search engine, price alerts, and more. To start searching for your next car, go to autotrader.com slash undone. That's autotrader.com slash undone. Autotrader, the only car search engine driven by you.